0: You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more.
1: If you want to learn about the music industry and you don't know where to go, tune in to WP88.7, Brave New Radio. we got managers, producers, record labels, concert promoters below.
2: Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eight, two, one. Uh, oh,
3: yes, uh,
2: yes, uh, yes. It's early. It is <laughs> early as we record is. music biz. 101 and more on Braid New Radio. I'm your professor, David Kirk-Philp, along with Dr. Esteban. Marconi Emeritus. Yes, Marconi M- 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 Emeritus. And he is rocking now. He's on location in Florida, but he's able to make it happen for us and for the listeners. So thank you, Dr. Esteban. Exactly. We uh, are having a great show today. It's going to be Luke Davis, who's the drummer for... Originally, they were a New Jersey band, the Happy Fits, but now they're your band. Wherever you're listening, they are your band. And he plays drums for them and does some singing. We're going to do some talking with him about that because he has some really good stories to talk about. And we want to remind you that uh, you should follow us on the Instagram and the Twitter. And you should be listening to this as a podcast or you should be listening at 8 o'clock on Wednesdays to Brave New Radio which you can find out. What, what's that? It's gobrave.org, correct, Dr. Stavon? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so should we give thanks? I guess. Why not? Why not be thankful? So we are thankful today for you, the listener. And we also want to be thankful to the folks at Bandai and Bruno Inc. at White Hat Management with artists like Dave Matthews, Three Doors Dance, St. Vincent, Kiss, Zach Brown, and Tima Likes Music. There's only one place to go for your business management. Go to V B. Type <laughs> when you're ready. And meanwhile, we also need to give thanks to our good friend, Christine. Boy, Vey, a wealth manager at the four F-O-U-R Forefront Group. Christine has helped people all over the world of all income brackets manage their investments and plan out for their retirement with somebody like you is thinking of building a bridge to your personal financial future. You want to think about the Forefront Group and you want to go to Christine at Forefront.com.
3: Leave the last oi off for savings.
2: As we always do. In addition to that, Managing Your Band, seventh edition is out and it's been fermenting like fine wine. This edition <laughs> is not as, uh, what's, what's the word when you put something out and then it's it, it's not relevant anymore? Absolutely. Um, I felt like the sixth edition was almost obsolete, even when we turned it in. But I feel mm-hmm. like this edition is not. We covered some really uh, so much better stuff and some more meat. And I think, um, go ahead listen to you. What's the what's the book the, that everybody always talks about? Um the, the, Passman pa- book. the Passman book. The Passman right, book is the passé book. You don't want to listen to that or read that. You want to go to Music Biz, um, our book, Managing Your Band. So. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then we also want you to know that at the University of William Patterson, our music business program has been ranked by Billboard magazine to be one of the best ever in the history of Billboard rankings of these music business programs. We're at the very bottom Because William Patterson starts with a W, as opposed to Albright, which starts with an A. They're cheating. It really should be flipped over. Give the Ws a chance to be at the top of the list. That's all I have to say. Dr. Esteban, do you have anything more to say? Not present. Good. And so Luke Davis, our good friend, is here with us now. Dr. Esteban, take it away. Yes, Luke.
3: So in your perspective as a band member, what is the
0: concept of Happy Fits? Ooh, the concept. Well, I don't think it really started as a concept in the beginning, besides we just wanted to make some music for our friends. Um, And recording the EP was nothing but a one-off project that would, you know, the band would never see the light of day again, because we were all going to do our own thing. Um, Ross, the guitarist, was going to Delaware to uh, work on political science. Uh, Calvin was going for cello for a conservatory in Georgia Mercer uh, University, and I was continuing my degree at William Patterson. So it was nothing more than just a gift to our friends. And then it got hit on Spotify It got picked up and we got on Fresh Finds for a week. Um, and then from there on became much more than that. And I think over the years, it's really become hopefully a place that people can not only relate to what we're feeling in our music and our lyrics, but it's also a way to escape everything that's going on in the world. Um, but acknowledge that not everything is OK, but it's, you know, that's sometimes life. Uh, so it's kind of become a multi layered, much like an onion, uh, the meaning of uh, the happy fits, but a lot of it is for a good purpose or positive meaning, um, in the mm-hmm. long run. So,
3: so yeah, you're in school and what was the sort of key that prompted you that, um, dropping out seems like a good thing. Cause I did the same thing for, uh, I was in grad school but did the same thing when, even before we got a record contract and and so on. So what was that little thing that pushed you over the edge?
0: Yeah, I I think it was scary. It was quite a leap of faith. Um, You know, I went to school, I went to Willie P to find other people that wanted to do what I was doing. Mm. Um, And there were plenty of people there that were like that. Uh, I guess... For me was I I recorded, I was suggested for the band by the guitarist's older brother uh, to play. They were like, we need a drummer. Can you come in? They were recording at the dead in Patterson. Um, and so it was very close to me. And I ended up recording the songs and I was like, wow, I really, really, really love this band a lot. But like, that was it. That's all I was going to do with them. And uh, it kind of bummed me out. Um, And then that, again, that fresh getting on Fresh Finds, uh, they were up to like 120,000 monthly listeners within a month or so. Uh, they got an offer. They played for Elektra. Um, I saw this opportunity as a, an artist who had no idea what they were doing to jump in and i guess work with this band and hopefully be in it full-time but my banking was i heard their music and i heard what it sounded like and i heard the potential of what it could be in the future so i just put all my eggs in one basket and i <clears throat> asked for i guess the the semester break or a semester leave of absence for the first semester to see how it would go and i wasn't even guaranteed a spot in the band um, when I was talking to Calvin at first, but I did it. And the first show we played, he was like, we're going to do this for a very long time, man. Um, and it all worked out, but I, yeah, I completely banked on it because I just believed so much in the music and those guys. And it uh, has really worked out. Yeah. I think you said uh,
3: the right thing. You took, you, you took the plunge and put all your eggs in one basket. And that's hard to do. I remember making that same sort of decision that this is going to, I'm not doing this other stuff. And I was doing a lot of musical stuff.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: But uh, it just came to that, you know, that, boy, do I really want to do this and make that commitment? So you, you, you have to make the commitment if you're going to do it. So what is a, what's a live show about? I mean, I don't know anything about the band. I watched, of course, the videos on the website and so on but what 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 happens at a live show to make it work
0: um you know until recently we didn't have anything besides us on stage we didn't have any backing tracks no click tracks nothing it was just the three of us uh i play drums ross's guitar calvin's cello and we all sing um and i would say that you know we do all right as being a band that backs up a lunatic cello player. Right. Um, and then we can also <laughs> each harmonize or have our own leads if we want to. But that guy is just, he's, he's very hard to take your eyes off of. Um, and I think we just really would back him up because we had played so many shows at the time where we felt really comfortable kind of, going off the rail a little bit but then coming back to the song of if he started doing something crazy we're like all right let's go with it let's roll with it this is the whole point of you know having the freedom of not being on clicks and everything we can we can have him go into his little wonderland on stage where he he loses himself and we can just be there to back him up and then once he looks at us and like wants to go back to the part we can just slam right back into it Mm -hmm. um I think people, a lot of people liked that. It was very, it was quite obvious that it was only three of us on stage. Um, You know, there was, there was only so many effects you could do that would fill out. And so people were impressed that it was only three of us. But, you know, as the years grew, when we were in the beginning, like, didn't sound great, but it, uh, like, the the musical notes were great and everything. And the singing was great, but the quality of instruments he's playing, like he was playing like a $300, like white stick of a cello. And it's like, you know, a classic cello that is even people that would classic cellists would look at and be like, but it's all right. Like, is it, you know, it's $13,000 cello that he sits at home and he's not allowed to bring out because his parents took out a car loan for it. Um, Like it's like, it's the quality of cello is night and day. Um, And so luckily in more recent times, he has been able to get a really cool one that uh, he's able to beat up a little bit, but not too much, but a carbon fiber. And that one is, you know, quite expensive. Mm -hmm. Um, Not expensive as the car loan cello, but almost there. But the fact of that and then figuring out his instrument as a whole really took a long time um because we wanted a rock and roll cello it was how do you play and he's i mean i haven't seen anyone really stand and play the cello and jump around and play the cello like he does Mm -hmm. so he uses a strap called the Mike block strap um and i think only like four or five people have purchased it ever but he's purchased like eight of them because he keeps breaking them from jumping around like a nut job um And so it took kind of like five years to really get this sound that we wanted out of it and a little bit with guitar too. But uh, yeah, we were always looking for the sound that we could just never achieve unless we were in the studio. But live, it was like impossible. So this year, finally, we were were able to like not only achieve that sound almost fully, but then we got backing tracks and click tracks. And the backing tracks are simply for um, like tambourine, uh, some bass that we need because cello doesn't have enough low end to have some of the bass parts that we need for songs to make it really fill out. Um, and we have synth in a few songs, so it really adds to the harmonies in a lot of ways. Uh, where, you know, the backing tracks might not be too much. They're very, if you heard them, they're very, very broken apart and broken down, but I think it finally completes some of these songs that had parts that were missing, mm-hmm. um, but I think we bring a pretty high energy set. That's our whole point the whole time is to get everybody escaped for the weekend or the weekday, whatever it may be, and have a great time.
3: Mm-hmm. You bring up a an interesting point again that um, most of the time, and I can speak for the band I was in, is that you're trying to get that live sound in the studio. So what do we got to do to make that live sound and make that connection? Because we were known as one of a great live band. Yeah. So like Sly Stone wouldn't let us open for him and so on. But we could never, we couldn't get that on the record. And you're talking about sort of the opposite of how can we get what we've captured on a
0: record and bring it to the audience live. Yeah, I think, uh, you know there's great there were great things to both so it was more of blending them together because you were getting a different people really enjoyed the live show but it was very different from the recording people love the recording very different from the live show so it's like how do we get them together into one um and so that has been that was a struggle for years and who knew it was just the click track no i'm kidding but uh it definitely, you know, it added a lot of dynamic of like, yeah, these songs, this is the pacing of what the song should be. Like we went back, our clip track messed up one of these uh shows, and we started playing the songs without click again. And it was like, oh man, no wonder we could only play 45 minute sets before because we I would play the song so fast on okay. drums that we would just fly through all of them. Um but yeah, it's re- it's been really great having that click. Uh, and some re- just when you keep doing that and it's the consistency every day, it really gets closer and closer what you want it to be. And now I'm super, super proud of how sonically the album sounds uh, like on, on record and everything. So it is great that we're getting as close as possible to that feeling. But it also being like some big and, Boomy, different experience live, um, yeah. but similar.
3: All right. So, how did the booking agency
0: get interested in you? Wow, we uh, we booked a lot of stuff ourselves for yeah. for about I think three years. Um, and you're going to hear me talk a lot about Calvin. He is just the man of all minds. He is a genius and he was tired of sitting around um, and we didn't really know how to approach stuff. So he was like, well, what if we go on band camp and look at as many bands as possible and email them and ask if they want to play a show. And then I will go to the booking like agent at the venue and i'll present them with a full band for a certain day and like what cities do we want to hit and he'd have a map he'd circle all the stuff and then he'd circle all the b and c markets of like big venues well-known stuff and that were reasonable it's not like he's going to try and book first ave when we can only pull you know 10 tickets uh and uh So what ended up happening was it was me and Ross would go on Bandcamp and we would look up like indie rock bands or some ridiculous tag like that for, we'd look up like 200 bands a day and maybe be lucky if we got like 15 to 20 that weren't, like their last album was in 2010 or something. Um, We ended up, you know, it'd be like 20, 30, 40 bands, whatever. And then we would put them in a spreadsheet and email blast all of these bands and and be like, Hey, can you play these shows? Um, if you want to, can you play the next show too? And so through that and through emailing venues, like, Hey, we already have this made up band and everything, or like this made up, uh, set, I guess, day for you, if you need it. Um, you book us and a lot of bands would not or a lot of venues wouldn't and we had to keep searching and keep doing it and you know at the time we're not 21 so that made it really hard too there's a lot of diy stuff we did um a lot of facebook groups where we'd find and work with other bands to do some shows we've definitely done some random house shows in the middle of the woods which were terrifying but uh you know you never forget those memories. They were amazing. Uh, but yeah, we ended up doing that for, I think three, we did like one tour that was a West coast that was seven shows long, not too, too long. And then we did, we did one that was, we were on the road for 64 days and it was like 40 shows, um, which was crazy. That was an insane. Our our first drive was from Jersey to Seattle. So Look,
2: was a that, great was, start to, that was one of the you. tours that tour you booked by yourself or that was with the uh, sound talent group we booked that one by ourselves the 40 shows one yeah that
0: was wow. a long long time ago we've had another 40 shows one we've had a few of those now but yeah we did the first one uh yeah it was 64 days 40 shows after that one we instantly got Hit up by sound talent, and they're like, Hey, right, do you need some help? And we're like, Please help us. Um, we just played to four people in Memphis, we really need you know some backup, but uh, yeah, yeah. yep. So we did a bunch of that, and then we ended up getting uh, shortly after that. We recorded our first album, met a Yad, <laughs> and a Yad was good friends with this guy named Kieran. And Kieran is the one who hooked us up with uh, Sound Talent Group. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Kieran and Ayat are both our uh, managers now. Right.
3: So the band's an overnight wonder.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's funny. That's said, such course. a funny word to me, such a funny term.
3: Yeah, all right. So,
0: how did you get to Europe? Is Europe? That- yeah. I think um you know we toured enough we did enough pretty cool tours uh in in the US now that we have had a lot of fans that reach out and Spotify is an incredible thing where you can kind of see where your music is coming from and especially during the pandemic we were doing our live streams a lot of people would comment and be like come to you know, the UK, come to Spain, come to like all of these places, Germany, everything. And they were very persistent and it was awesome. It wasn't like a one-off thing and a large amount. I mean, you could check on your YouTube live streams where people are tuning in from, especially um, they were in the UK. And from there we had a discussion after a while with a few booking agencies um, and we, we ended up deciding on one and they just booked us a tiny little tour and we didn't really think anything of it. We thought it was going to be like back to ground one of going on the road again. And we knew full well for an American band, it's not for a very long time until you start making money out there it's more of for the experience and to, you know, get those fans satisfied, which is, you know, the main thing is in an ideal world, we wouldn't need the money. We just keep playing shows there and we don't care how much we get paid because it's awesome. You know, what an experience to be able to go out there and play shows for people who care about your music. Um, and that you know, it ended up being a really unbelievable tour. We sold out every show. It wasn't a lot of shows, but it was, uh, we did Glasgow, UK, uh, Manchester, Berlin. um, And then we did, uh, I think we did two in UK. But it's like, we got to go there. Every show sold out. It was insane. And then, they x-ray was like we want you to come back quickly which is our booking agency um they were like we want you to come back quickly because like there's this kind of fire going on right now it seems with you guys uh and people are very excited so we announced the tour again we added some shows and we sold out two nights in belgium instantly uh which was really cool i mean it was like we released it one night it sold out and then we announced one the next day it sold out so So,
3: what size size venues basically um
0: these ones now are so originally it was like we were playing off the biggest room was like a 200 cap room we weren't going for anything crazy because we didn't want to go to these venues and then like bum them out or set a weird uh precedent with x-ray of like we're not trying to come in bigger than we are Mm -hmm. um And so they all sold out. It's like, okay, let's bump them up. Let's bump all those up by 100, except for London is a 700 cap. Um, And then like Belgium is like a 150. The new ones are like 150s again, but uh, most of them are like 350 or 200 cap rooms, um, which is exciting. So we'll do that. We'll do another quick run. Um, And then we're back to some makeup shows in the US as well, right after that. So, mm-hmm. but I'm so excited. Last time we were out there, it was, it's such a different experience being out there and not only just hearing, not only being there alone, but then playing music and hearing people with uh, English as not their first uh, language. Right. sing your songs is quite a surreal, it's very surreal, unreal moment. It's, uh, right. it's awesome. I mean, we're in Germany And hearing people sing, like, too late, I was just like, whoa, this is, you could have not told me this five years ago. I wouldn't have believed you that we would be here right now doing this. So, really, really, really cool. Uh,
3: Before I let David talk, which it seems like he wants to talk. Um, Usually they'd say, when a band's coming up, like this is usually a, I call it a Schizophrenia. Because you're playing some great shows, but you're not making any money. Then you have to go back on a Tuesday night or a Thursday night and play a show somewhere, which you don't want to be, but at least you're making money. So, you, so how do how do you the band have, have to deal with that schizophrenia, which I call schizophrenia?
0: Yeah, I uh, I think a lot bands definitely you know we had it for a while we're finally in a place that we feel good this is my full-time job which is amazing I'm very grateful for um but yeah you know you you finish a tour and you see the like count and everything you did and how much money you made and then it's like then you get your paycheck and you're like that doesn't <laughs> yeah. make any sense at all like what what does this mean um and it's like, well, it's great. Uh, here's your little vacation money, and now you got to go play a seventy-eight day tour. Yeah. And, and that one, you're gonna make less money on the one you just made that did amazing. Um, and you're like, what is happening? Like, where is all this going? And yeah. a lot of it goes back into the band, and a lot of it is safety. And it's we can go really crazy into it, but it's you know making the multiple LLCs uh, yeah. so that your band can run properly. And the government won't burn you to the ground. Um, but yeah, there's definitely that craziness of like, where am I? What am I doing? Where are we going? Like, this is worth it. But you have that like intrusive thought, is this worth it in the back of your mind? Yes. Um, because, you know, you're away from family and friends, but you're doing your dream. But it's not like you're coming back to your family and friends with, uh, hey, let's get a big old house. Let's all live together and have a right. great time um. Yeah, it's it's tough, but luckily, I really enjoy my band members and my team. So I can't imagine what it'd be like having that feeling, and then going home, and then your band sucks and your team sucks. Uh, yeah. right. We're lucky, but it's hard work. You gotta you gotta invest a lot back into the band for sure.
2: First thing I want to just backtrack for a second, because Marconi, you said something a while back about when you were on the road and your band was playing, uh, Sly, Sly and the Family Stone would not let you tour with them. Was that because they were uh, paranoid that you guys were going to upstage them because you were better?
3: Actually, that's the word we got from the agency when we were with ICM, that he just, uh, he refused to have us open for him And we were very good, but we were fired a couple of times for being too good as an opening. <laughs> Uh, you know, and that's just the paranoid, you know, headliner. Um so yes, it was never stated that way ever. But usually they meant you played I think one time we played five minutes too long for our, our set. So we were fired for the rest of the week. You know, I mean, you know, you know that wasn't it. So so on.
2: Yeah interesting that's, okay a little rock and roll history loop that we just learned what do you think about that i love that yes. um
0: that's the five the over five minutes thing is uh quite a hilarious uh i guess we are we're too nice when people go over five minutes we'd be like oh guys can you just like not do that next time and then they'd be like yeah for sure for sure dude and then they do like eight minutes <laughs> in a time and we're like oh, man none of us had that backbone of being like yo cut it out you gotta you gotta quit it but uh yeah I mean it's that is very funny I just remember the first time we played with this wildlife um who are our very dear and near friends we've only done two support tours so we haven't had much of an experience of any of that stuff but uh we played with them the first night and I was a big fan of them because I saw them at warp tour. And we finished our set the first night and we get off and heaven isn't even looking me in the eyes, the lead singer. And he goes, great show, man. Um, And he walks up on stage and I was like, Oh my God, did we bomb it? Did we do something wrong? And later he ended up telling me, he was like, I was so pissed off because you guys were so good. You were so unbelievably good that I was like, God, now I have to like every night try and one-up these guys because like like look at this because calvin is i would recommend to anyone not to see the band for the music alone as our lead singer calvin is just an absolute nut job uh with that cello and singing he's just crazy you can't take your eyes off of him so Mm It was funny of like, we were like, oh, my God, what, what did we do wrong? And he was like, no, it's just like you you really pissed me off because you guys are good. And I didn't. And then Anthony was like, I didn't even know there was a cello in the band, man. And you guys are just ripping this cello solo every two seconds. And I was like, I'm sorry. I don't know.
2: You guys caught up. You guys brought us. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's funny. Yeah, that, that's a good story. So uh, while we're talking about on the road, I know we're still in the age of COVID and you've been on tour and twice gotten COVID. Um, Can you kind of go through, obviously you didn't feel well, so there's that, but besides that, how did that affect the tour? How did that affect the band playing every day? You know, what, what did you guys do? um, Especially the second time. Um, And can you, if, if you're comfortable talking about how you think you got it both times.
0: Yeah, so the um, the first time was much scarier, um, in a different way than the second time. Both were not great, um, at all. Would highly don't recommend getting COVID on tour. But the first time I think was one of the bands that was opening was having a lot of fun because it was a hometown show, and this was we were one of the first bands like out during covid i'd say there was only like a handful and we were in ohio and the drummer of the one band started getting sick in chicago excuse me sorry and the he wasn't telling like he wasn't he wasn't sure he was like and he was using my drum kit so he wasn't too sure he's using my drum kit and then he starts backing off for a bit and then we're hanging out with the other band and we're up in the green room where we did two nights in Chicago. So we did one at subterranean and then one at beat kitchen and subterranean, the drummer, uh, was not feeling good of the one band. And then the other band, um, the bassist wasn't feeling too great, but, like, just thought it was a cold or something because no one was doing anything yet. And I was sitting with the bassist for, like, 30 minutes before our show, like, right next to him. Um, And then, boom, next day, they go, drummer has COVID. We're all freaking out. We're like, okay, let's test ourselves. We're all negative. We're all negative. And then the n- one night that the next show we had was in mini, uh... We played, but the first band didn't play. And then the second band found out that their bassist was gone, but the lead singer was fine. So the lead singer just played alone, like an acoustic set, and then we played. And uh I woke up the next day and I felt like and I was like, Oh no. So we went, I like something felt wrong. It felt like I had asthma. I wasn't feeling too good. Um, And we went and the only rapid tests, PCR rapid tests you could get was at the airport and they were $200 a pop. And so we went and we tested us and our whole crew. So it was like $1,200 to do it, which for anyone is a lot of money. It's especially a lot of money on the road for a band that is not very established yet. And uh, we all tested negative. And I was like, guys, there's something wrong. I was like, I feel sick. Like, this does not feel right. And I went back and I tested positive. So we spent another 200 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> I got a positive test. Um, And that's where it got scary because we were, you know, just out of the pandemic. This was a time for us to, I guess what? A lot of people don't they don't use this term a bunch, but like there's a there's a spending year and there's an earning year where you spend a lot of money as a band to then have the next year make you a lot of money, um, at least from what I've heard from my management. And that was definitely an earning year for us. And this was throwing a big hammer in the middle of our uh, earning year. So I was freaking out and they were like, well. We we gotta isolate him. He's gotta be isolated. Uh at first they were frustrated, like, why'd you test? Were you not feeling good? Um and I was like, Yeah, I wasn't feeling good. Um, and that was kind of the case with everyone is everyone was scared because it was like, Oh my god, if you get it, you know, that's 14 years gone. And we didn't know, or 14 days gone, and we didn't know how many um like how people would react you know, there's the side of people that were like, Oh my God, this is you know, a bunch of baloney. Uh, COVID's nothing. Or it's the people like, Oh, thank gosh. And luckily with our fan group, they're very, they really care about us and they care about everyone's health and everything. So we announced it. Um, we had to skip two shows at the time I was dropped off in Minnesota in the middle of nowhere. Um, And luckily, the lead singer of Mags learned our entire set. So we only missed two shows. And even though I was gone for, I think, 10 days total, we only missed two shows out of, uh, I think, eight that were there. So what ended up happening was they played the shows. He did an acoustic set. Then he jumped on drums and did the whole Happy Fits set. So I was isolated in minnesota for like 10 days um sick as a dog i uh i actually ordered a playstation to my room and so i could just play video games or do something because i knew i couldn't leave the room and there was no place for me to walk or anything it was like a highway and then the hotel and nothing for miles so i was like oh man so i had to like order the amount of ridiculous food i ordered like sushi burritos and random stuff minnesota was crazy um and yeah i did that and it was quite a you know it was a scary time regardless but it really gets to you when you're alone isolated and you're like oh man they're playing all these big shows they played the biggest show of the tour when i wasn't there um, so you know it really bummed me out made me pretty sad but or one of the biggest shows they played there but I was lucky enough to come back for, you know, our big LA show and then uh, make it in time for New York and New Jersey and all of that. But it was honestly, it was an awful time and it really, you know, messed with you. You're like stuck and like your fans, you know, these things you, we were finally playing the shows we dreamed of. Um, This was a tour that was huge for us. And, you know, we were playing five to, thousand cap rooms and selling you know seven to eight hundred tickets pretty much every night and it was incredible but I missed out on a bunch of them and it was really sad so it was scary but we learned how to deal with it then and then this upcoming tour uh or this tour we just did uh people were feeling weird again and everybody was getting sick and we didn't know anything at the time that was going on But I think one of the bands got COVID and we were like, oh, no. And of course, me, I'm just I've been known to being the walking medical bill uh, in general. And I felt we did a show in Arizona and it was raining all day. Pouring rain. Awful. It was like 40 degrees out in Arizona. It was insane. We played it outside and I have like rain just pouring on me. Um, and I started to feel like a little bit that day at a sore throat and then we get in the car feeling pretty sick. And then the next day I felt awful. Um, you know, when I had COVID before it was like the booster shot made me more sick than actual COVID this time I had COVID and I was really, really sick. So we got to the venue, I swabbed my nose again. I tested positive and my, my, uh, tour manager was like, well, love you bud and he put me in an uber and i stayed in texas for a week and usually it's like five days but i was very very sick um like couldn't really talk just constant coughing i knew the routine now i had a bunch of i have my gaming laptop i had my you know My little stuff, I could watch movies on. This time, luckily, he got me. He booked me a room that had a living room and a kitchen. So I wasn't just in a box, like going crazy as much. Um, And yeah, that was a week. But I almost had to go to the ER. I felt awful. I had to get like steroids shipped in. I was very sick and really worried. So we ended up missing, I think, six shows because it was kind of a ripple effect where I got it. And last time, no one else got it. But this time... I had it, and then Calvin got it, and then two of our crew members got it, and then some of the other bands got it. And, you know, what we realized with a lot of these bands, too, is some of these bands were crazy and pretty disrespectful where it wasn't anyone on our group or team, but they just they would have the COVID test positive, and then their people would go in and be like, you feel good? they go, yeah. And then they would just be like, all right, don't tell anyone. And they just go on and do the COVID show like just go and do these shows and shake hands with people all, like of all ages, all like, you know, health, health wise, everything. And we're just not that, you know, we were like, we're not going to do that. We got to play it safe again. Um, we're not going to be specific of who got COVID because man, would it have been a laugh to everybody if it was me again? Um, but yeah, we did that again. And then, It worked out much better this time in the sense of we were able to do the makeup shows. Um, It was a little beneficial to us just because this tour was really crazy. It was like we were on a bus tour, but we were in a van. So we were like already worn out completely and so exhausted. So regardless of even if I kept quiet and wasn't singing and playing the drums, everyone else would have been dying. I would have been dying, too it would have been very bad for everyone's health as well as our, you know, the performance people paid to come for. So we're doing those makeup shows in April and we're really excited, bringing back everything. We're not half-assing any of it, uh, different opening bands, but very exciting opening bands. Um, it's tough, you know, it's a scary thing that is now a new thing in the music industry, but I think it's something that you really have to respect because it's just not fair to people who are coming out. Uh, there's, it could be so, it couldn't be, it, it could be not devastating to them, but it could be devastating to the people they bring it home to, you know? Um, so, yeah, sorry for that rant, but it was it was a scary time, but we made it out of it. How
3: does your merch work? Who does your merch and how does it work? Because I see you got a great deal of merch. Uh, are they one-offs so, or what have what <laughs> you do with that?
0: Yeah, so... Um, In the beginning of the band, we used to make it all of ourselves, and we would even do the fact of screen printing, and they looked awful. We would do it in Ross's basement, and we would we would put some of them on discount if they had some blotchiness. We'd have a discount box like, "Hey, if you want this one for three bucks as opposed to the ten bucks or whatever, go and take it." And we decided to go to the next level pretty quickly after that, and we found a great place in plumbing. Flamington that would double ink uh shirts for like it was like three dollars to make the shirt. Um and it was great, but we were coming up with all of our designs. Um, it was doing us good. And then when we met Ayad, uh the guy who produced our first album and then became our manager, his wife Elizabeth does a lot of graphic design. So she started designing and helping us out with a lot of our imagery, like working with us together very intimately um not having just like you only have like three things you can do and then this is the final product like we could really go back to we wanted them to be perfect and so in combination with her a uh we met this guy andy um who started his own uh merch company and now he is the merch guy not only for us but he does Folds and he does uh bad money now so he works with some big big artists Um and we usually do, you know, there'll be a tour or if we have, uh, if some holiday comes up or we have a special show like the Troubadour we will make special merch for that. I think, you know, a lot of people, a lot of fans are starting to realize now that merch is pretty much one of the only incomes that really the money goes directly to the artist uh, in the most way possible. Um, it's... And uh, so we try to do as much special stuff as like that we can with that. Um, But, you know, having the aesthetic of fruit kind of be a joke at the beginning, but then becoming a really serious platform for us. We really wanted to like jump on that because we can have very vibrant colors and make our our merch pop. Um, And a lot of people ask, like, what the heck? What is that band? What is that? Like the Happy Fits? What is that? Um, but yeah, we do a lot of, we work a lot with Andy as well as Elizabeth and our managers are really good at timing when to release new merch, when to do deals, uh, deals like these sales and everything. Um, and working with a company called Lalo, which is kind of like community where it's like, you sign up, you put your number in, if you do it, you'll get a coup- coupon to our, to our website online, or you'll get like special email blasts for merch drops and all that stuff um and we like doing contests with that as well um i think we just did an international contest where we involved a merch for international uh fans that they can grab some merch with no shipping costs and like 10 percent off um we really want our merch to i guess people feel proud to wear it it's not like something that uh they might feel silly, but it is silly in a way. Some of it is happy, go lucky. Um, much of, I guess, our, our feelings when we're on stage. But yeah, the merch has slowly developed more and more. I think everyone knows how hard it is to get vinyl now, uh, these days after the pandemic. So we've been working on that for quite a while as well, but we love doing that, some tchotchkes, uh, hats, everything we can um, for everybody's
2: style preference you have a number of sources of revenue we just talked about merch and we've talked about going on the road and you mentioned earning years you also have a deal with a and so you're making something from recorded music there's the pro income you'll get from are you guys ASCAP or bmi we're uh CSAC. you're C-CSAC. Okay. okay Stack. okay and then there is uh publishing and then beyond that there's sound exchange. Can you tell us a little bit? Cause nobody ever talks about the sound exchange revenue that they get. Can you kind of, you don't have to tell us how much you make, but where are you getting the revenue from sound exchange and how has that been helpful to you as a band? Well, a big thing when I realized
0: what I didn't even, I had no idea. I mean, that's part of why there's a lot you can learn being in school. You're never going to truly understand, at least in my, the way I learned. I never was going to truly understand what all of these sides were the mechanical, the pros, the masters, all that. Um, when I started to really understand, is when we signed up with AWOL, they got us uh, with um, a radio company called uh, In Tune. Um, and they uh they got hold of they got hold me down on Sirius XM and it went really really well on the um on the um alternative charts and with that it doing really well on the alternative charts we started getting paychecks that from Sound Exchange that we had no idea were even possible for a band like us um you know, alone in 2021, like that paid for all of our rent and had even more money over. I was like, oh, so this is why radio is still king um, when all of us are arguing of like back in the back in the day, like radio is bullshit why are we putting money into radio? We're spending tens of thousands of our dollars that we're gonna have to owe later in life. Um, why don't we just push it onto Spotify? I can try and do some Spotify ads um, or do something like that. And we did really well on Sirius XM and that became a huge outlet. So I believe that's where all of our sound exchange, a majority of uh, the money from our sound exchange came from our spins on the radio. Um, and it became a huge source of income for us back in the day, basically for us to live in New York while we were recording the album for six months. I don't know if that would have been nearly as achievable if we didn't have that great run for Hold Me Down. Um, it was gigantic for us. So. You probably would be better ex- actually explaining what Sound Exchange is for. I more, more have like we did well on radio, and then we started getting those big paychecks for. It's pretty much my experience.
2: Yes, for our friends listening, Sound Exchange collects for non-interactive digital transmissions. So, for example, Sirius XM. Uh, they pay the pros, the performance rights organizations for the public performance, and then they also pay an organization called Sound Exchange who collects for the actual recorded performance of that song. And so they collect from Siri, uh, from yeah, Sirius XM, they collect from Music Choice, like uh, on your cable channels, and a number of other places uh uh, z100 or your major radio station when that streams they collect from that as well but uh, nobody collects from your major radio station when it just plays over broadcast radio for example for the recorded performers so there you go luke now you know everything now you can manage but specifically like sirius xm is non-interactive interactive Interactive is exactly that uh, on demand like spotify is interactive youtube is interactive i choose what I want to listen to, when I want to listen to it, I hit pause, I fast forward, I rewind, I play it over and over and over again. That's interactive versus Sirius XM is like regular radio, but it's via satellite technically. And that's what they're able to do. They created this other thing with this thing, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, and they created Sound Exchange out of that in order to collect that revenue for people like Luke Davis, drummer for the Happy Fits. Great to have you, Luke. How are you today? Great to be here. Doing great. Thanks for joining us. We have about one minute left. So Marconi, would you like to ask the final question? I'm sure you have one.
3: I don't have one at the tip of my tongue. So if you have one, that would be good.
2: Um, Honestly, all my questions are extremely personal. Um, Let me just bring up one thing. Um, For the cello going back, you had mentioned the, what do you call the things that that goes over his shoulders to hold the cello? The Bachman strap. Yeah, the strap, the strap. It's a big word for me. But have you guys looked into uh, getting endorsement deals uh, from either that company or form cello companies in order to either, um, because I've seen, you know, how he's, his bows and the strings are all over the place because he's so energetic with his, with his acts. So um, have you talked about uh, any sort of endorsement deals with those types of companies? I
0: think he's had uh, an endorsement deal with Back now the strap company as well as the one he's using now um they gave him a tester one and he just they have never asked for him to return it back i'm trying to remember the company name of it but he uses the heck out of that carbon fiber cello um because that stuff adds up uh i mean it would be great the only deals we really have are with fender um, we have a deal with fender and a few with some pedal companies none for drums yet unfortunately but i also am not carrying around a nine thousand dollar cello mine at least gets to sit down on the ground and not be flung around accidentally um but yeah we've always been looking for endorsements in that way uh i think also the the string world is getting used to him absolutely beating up and not using the proper technique anymore on a cello because he can't use the proper technique the way he plays. Um, so I think they're a little terrified in that fact. Uh, I remember every time that he would post a video of him standing up, they're like, that is not how you play a cello. And it's like, well, you know, that's why we're doing it. <laughs> um <laughs> So it's, it's been interesting to get, uh, I'm trying to remember the company that lets him borrow cellos, but most of them are like hybrid stuff where I think in reality, he wants a normal cello that just can have a thing that plugs, you know, that is able to have the strap and go on and be able to go and rip it. Cause he really has to MacGyver it. He has to fill up the F holes completely with, uh, uh, styrofoam or like the, the fabric just because when he gets up there and he puts on a distortion pedal, it all feeds back.
1: Yeah.
0: And it's been a nightmare for a long time. So he kind of has to jerry rig, unless they completely make him a custom cello that's like got rubber F holes that fill up everything. Um, he's had to custom order everything or just, you know, MacGyver it. And then he puts this like, it's kind of funny, our managers call it the diaper, but it's like uh it he has duct tape, like a padded duct tape like pillow on his back because you're supposed to have the cello angled out, not like a 45 degree angle, but pretty far out. And so he needed to duct tape and make a pack behind like his chest so that he could have it out. Otherwise it'd be flat and he'd be like scrunched over it, like Scrooge or something, trying to play those notes. Um, So he's really created uh i think in the classical world's eyes a bit of an abomination of a cello but uh people who never really have seen it is like this is the coolest thing ever i have no idea what's what he's playing but it's awesome um, well, if they, we'll if they to, don't
2: yeah if they don't like it then he's doing the right thing
0: yeah. <laughs> we'll have to see if there's some frankenstein company that'll uh, want to sponsor us that's right there um, will
2: be well we need to wrap it up we need to wrap it up so Luke Davis, drummer of the Happy Fits. Thank you so much for appearing on Music Business No One and more with us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Luke, and uh, Dr. Welcome. Stevan Marconi. Thank you very much for joining us today as well. You didn't have to; none of us had to be here. We chose to be here. That's correct. Yes. My radio show, <laughs> my choice. For,
3: for thank you for carrying the show, uh, my esteemed colleague. Right, even though.
2: I- Luke, Luke carried this show. So Luke there, thank you, carried it on your back at a 45 degree angle, like it was a rock and roll cello. With a strap. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so at the end of every show, Luke, do you have any idea what we say at the end of every show? I don't No. Well, you should. And it's kind of angers me that you don't. But at the end of every show, we don't say hello. Uh, instead, at the end of every show, we say. Adios!
3: Adios! I'll be the
1: Wanna be your lover in every sexy kind of way